And welcome to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, he's with The Athletic, and like a health-conscious baker, he doesn't sugarcoat things. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing? Doing great, Kieran. Real is the only language I know. And I think that's why people like this podcast, because as we found out a couple weeks ago with the trust fund, <laughs> it's not all sunshine and rainbows on the podcast, but it's not doom and gloom either. It's just real. That's all you need. It's, it's absolutely real. That's what we talk about. That's what we talk about. Trying to explain the issues, go into some detail, some nuance, not just hot takes. Every now and then, maybe a little bit of a hot take, usually done in jest more than anything. Uh, but but we're trying to dive into the Tigers in a very important offseason. So here we are, and uh, we're back for yet another episode. Well, you know, when the offseason started, I was like, you know, we might have to stretch some topics here. I'm trying to come up with ideas. And, you know, so far, the Tigers and, you know, baseball in general uh, has done a good job of kind of keeping keeping some stories alive, kind of spreading them out a little bit, you know. Uh, we had the Tucker Barnard trade uh, to begin the offseason, basically. Had some pl- plenty of fodder during the World Series, obviously. And now we got ourselves uh, a Mr. Tiger, Tiger of the Year, uh, Jamer Candelario, for the second consecutive season. Uh, not a surprise, but I think if we reflect on Jamer a little bit, there are some surprising nuggets in there. So, uh Am I am I going off on on a limb here, Cody? That he had your vote. Are you allowed to disclose that? Is that on the up and up or what? Um, I don't think I signed anything that said I can't disclose it, so I'm going to go with the idea that I can disclose it. I did, in fact, vote for Jamer Candelario for Tiger of the Year. The vote is selected by the Detroit chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America, and uh, the only other guy I really considered was Robbie Grossman. Had a very good year, good numbers, and kind of an intrinsic, you know, leadership quality to him. But when I really crunched the numbers, Jamer was the best player on this team by a pretty wide margin. Um, it made me wonder because it wasn't just day-to-day beat writers who voted on this. It looks like there were, you know, almost twenty votes. Uh, one one person voted for Casey Mize. Nothing against Casey Mize. I thought Casey Mize had a great year, but I'm like, who? Who voted for Casey Mize for Tiger of the Year? I don't know. Somebody did. Uh, Jonathan Scope got five votes, more than Robbie Grossman with three. Again, who whose idea was that? I think it was Jamer. I think it was a pretty easy choice. I'm not gonna ask. I'm not gonna put you on the spot here. But do you think if you had to, if there was a test, you could name all the members of the Detroit chapter of the baseball? No, absolutely not. Here's here's a. Uh, the thing about the BBWAA, and this comes in from time to time when we start talking about Hall of Fame voting, some of the members don't really cover baseball anymore. Some of the members are like 85 years old. Some of the members, one of the members is Mitch Album, who has not been to Comerica Park in I don't know how many years. And I respect that guy and what he's done in his career, but like, why does he get a vote for Tiger of the Year, you know? Uh, so I, I should say I have a vote, uh, cause I used to cover college football. I got an email from, um, the Blitnikoff people. I, I forget. I still have a vote for the Blitnikoff award and like several other college football awards, not the Heisman. Um, but I shouldn't have a vote. I don't pay that close of attention anymore. So, uh, I, I guess it goes both ways. I will also be voting on some awards that I probably have no business voting on. However, I will do my research and try to make sure I don't vote for, uh, someone ridiculous for any of those. Well, you know, and we don't have to dive too far in the voting thing, but uh, you were spot on when we talked about Rookie of the Year candidates, God, what was that, a couple months ago, and you just kind of laid out the case for all of them based on the finalists. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there, didn't you? Got them. All three. All three. There we go. That I'm proud of that, and I'm proud of my fellow baseball writers for uh, making some logical selections, not letting their emotions get the best of them or, or do anything crazy. We'll see who wins that award, but the finalists, I think, are just as they should be. Yeah. And no. for anyone who doesn't know, that's that's Randy Rosarina, Wander Franco, and Luis Garcia of the Astros. Yeah, all very deserving. So so back to Jamer. Uh, so back-to-back, like I said, Tiger of the Year. 
pretty nice company to of guys that have been able to do that. Miguel Cabrera, Travis Fryman, Cecil Fielder, Alan Trammell, Ron LaFleur, and Denny McLean. Travis Fryman, the 90s were uh, a rough decade there. <laughs> yeah. Well, two in the 90s, uh, the guys went back-to-back in pretty close proximity as well. Close proximity. Uh, that's redundant, but what, what, regardless, uh, that's my, et- my self editing <laughs> right there. Um, Ron LaFleur in the seventies. I had no idea he was back to back. That's fun. I was kind of surprised he got back to back. I like it though. Uh, yeah, me as well. And Denny McLean, obviously, uh, easy choice there in the, and I, I'll assume this award, uh, did not start until post Ty Cobb. I don't know what, what year this thing started, but, uh, Probably around the time of Denny McLean. Well, it had we to. It had to Greenberg. be. We don't see some of these other. Greenberg no, K line. K line definitely yeah, would have done it mm-hmm. uh, in his prime, you know. So for sure. But a uh, couple of interesting factoids with Jamer. Uh, I believe this is. Uh, I can't remember which war I looked up. I believe it's 1965. 1965 was the first year that Tiger of the Year was handed out. Okay, there you go. So I believe this is Fangraph's war. He was three point seven. Jamer was a uh, couple factoids on that. That is the fourth highest for a tiger in the Comerica Park era. So that's two thousand on. Uh, that's according to your colleague Jason Beck, among wow. and uh, that might be among third baseman. This is this might be half-assed internet research. I was gonna say, is that well, surely let, that's among third let baseman? Me double, right? Let me double check that in a second. We're doing this live. But it's also the highest, I believe, since 2017. That's more believable. Is it not? That one I believe for sure. All right, so... Well, Nick Cass- no, Castellano's defense always devalues him. Yep. So, pretty nice. And if you look at a lot of Fangraph advanced stat rankings, I believe their overall positional rankings, which their formula, I'm not sure exactly what goes into it. They got Jamer around five, seven, nine ranked third baseman in all of baseball. So now we have the classic case of eye tests and stats. Where is Jamer a top ten third baseman in baseball? I ask you. Let's member break it of down. Baseball writers, Jamer, writers Association. Jamer in the year twenty twenty one was a top ten third baseman. He. uh was number nine in weighted runs created plus. He was, I believe, also number nine among third basemen. In he was tenth in wins above replacement. Now, is he actually top ten? I don't know. Is you know he finished ahead of Nolan Arenado in weighted runs created plus. I don't believe Jamer Candelario year in and year out is a better offensive player than Nolan Arenado. But I look at these names below him. Kyle Seeger, meh, Ryan McMahon, uh, Josh Donaldson didn't have a great year, Jonathan VR, Eugenio Suarez did not have a great year, Hunter Dozier. I'm not taking any of those guys ahead of Jamer. Uh, Luis Arias, you know, Matt Chapman ranks ahead of him in war, although lower in weighted runs created plus. But I really think outside of Rafael Devers, Austin Riley, Jose Ramirez, Manny Machado, and, you know, Arenado, Justin Turner, okay, Chris Bryant. You know, those are your seven, eight guys who I say, okay, yeah, those are your top seven or eight. Then you have some other three or four guys who could really contend for top ten spots. And based on his play in 2021, Jamer Candelario uh, fits that bill. I think he, you know, also played very well in the shortened 2020 season. I think he has to follow it up with one more full, consistent, strong year in 2022 for us to really say, okay, this guy's a top 10 third baseman. For the Tigers to say, okay, maybe we got to look into a contract extension for this guy. I think you need to see just a little more uh, to elevate Jamer from solid everyday player to top 10 third baseman in the league. And just to correct the record, yes, among third basemen in the Comerica Park era. I looked that up. So just that for the, makes much more yeah, sense. Sorry. Yeah. So just wanted to clear that up. Fourth highest since 2000 among Tigers third baseman. Well, okay. Well, Chris Bryant, is he going to play third base anymore? Is that, a, I mean, so if that's the case, then 
he jumps a spot, you know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I'll tell you what, just to be in the conversation there. I mean, to to just be in top 10 consideration is a huge win for him personally, give him the credit, and the sign, the state of the Tigers' rebuild. Because this is, um, at this time last year when A.J. Hinch was evaluating the roster, he was not putting in pen Jamer Candelario for the next couple years, right? He was, he was, he was definitely very much in pencil and probably until maybe June, it was, uh, made sure the pencil had a really good eraser on it. Uh, (laughs) now we're, we're doing now, now we're doing year long pen is what I'm saying. You know, so I guess to, to, to further the analogy, can we say Jamer Candelario in pen, but not in Sharpie? I'm gonna I'm a AJ Hint suggestion <laughs> box. Use your you know elevate your pen and pencil analogy and make a Sharpie analogy. So it's like I'm not putting him in Sharpie, but I think we can put Jamer in pen. Is that fair? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And also worth noting with Candelario. Uh, not the easiest year for him personally uh he lost his grandmother during the season um i could uh, that's hard for anybody but i imagine it's really hard for someone trying to you know go through the rigors of a major league baseball season so you add that element and then when your family's in another country uh you know that's just something that i would never be able to relate to because obviously you know my all my family's you know, in the same country as me. So throw all those things on. Plus, it's a pandemic still, you know, uh, th- throw all that stuff in there and still able to put together a really solid season. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy for the guy. I, I, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for what his role and stability does for the Tigers rebuild. I kind of think, what if he went the way of Jacoby Jones? How are we looking at this team? Because we all agree Jamer's not a spectacular player. He's not going to have a handful of all-star uh, nominations. He's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. All right. But he, So we say he's a solid player. But if you just take away that solid player at third base, how different are we looking at the Tigers? You know what I mean? Like I think that that kind of speaks volumes. Yeah, it certainly changes the dynamic of the infield, which is something I've kind of harped on for the past couple of years. Even I say right now, you can finally pin, you know, pencil or pin in Jamer at third, Torkelson at first. This time a year ago, you couldn't do that with Jamer. So you had, okay, Torkelson probably first, but maybe third. And we still don't have our answers up the middle. So this time a year ago, you had zero answers in your infield or half of one in Torkelson who hadn't actually played a professional game yet. Now you're halfway there. You got Jamer at third. You have Torkelson. The third base experiment is over. He's going to play first. Uh, Hopefully the Tigers sign a shortstop and then you got three or four pieces and that allows you, you extended Jonathan scope. He can move back to second base. Okay. Then you got an infield. That kind of all comes together through Jamer Candelario being really solid. If he's not, you're still up in the air saying, what do we do at third base? Um, You're probably still experimenting with Torkelson at third base, which means more scope at first base, which means you don't have a second baseman. I mean, it really does. It brings a lot together just to have one guy emerge as a solid piece in that infield. Will there ever be a quote from a Tigers executive or coach that says the reason we went ahead and focused torque at first base is because of Jamer, even though I don't necessarily think that's completely true, but it's a really convenient way to explain a way, an experiment that I wouldn't necessarily say is a failure, but it didn't play out. If that makes sense. Um, if I were Al Avila, I would recommend saying that because 
probably the real truth. You talk about not sugarcoating. Spencer Torkelson wasn't very good at third base. Could he have maybe done it with more time, more development, and been a pretty bad third baseman? Yeah, maybe. Uh, but the the reason they, in a way, they were able to pull the plug on that experiment because they had a third baseman. So it's it's kind of a half truth. And uh, yeah, if you're a Tigers executive, it, it probably makes you look a little better than the whole, yeah, we drafted Torkelson and spent his entire first summer as a professional just trying to teach him to play third base and ended up being rather pointless. Well, yeah, and if we want to go way back, I mean, I've said this before on the podcast, when the trade happened that brought him and Paredes to the Tiger system, now, Jamer had debuted in the major leagues, but he wasn't a you know full-timer yet. Uh, he was looked at as a placeholder and just kind of a guy. And now, if Paredes becomes anything, I mean, like a rotational corner infielder or a rotational second baseman, I guess occasional shortstop, if he becomes anything and Jamer maintains this level, you're talking about one of the better wins of a trade that, uh, that Al can have on his resume. I mean that like a huge win, a huge W. You get two, you get two regular major leaguers for rentals of a catcher and a relief pitcher. I mean, that- yeah, it's already it's already a, a big, a clear W for the Tigers and and Al Avila. I mean, Justin Wilson was okay as a Cub, and they rented Alex Avila. Jamer Candelario has has accrued a lot more wins above replacement. He's been the best player in that trade. So it's already a W. If yeah, if, if Paredes becomes an everyday big leaguer, um, that's a really good trade. If Paredes becomes anything, that's a good problem for the Tigers to have in terms of fitting him in, uh, because he could become a trade piece. If Candelario regresses, he could play third. If something happens to Scope, he can play second. Uh, Paredes is a whole other a whole other discussion and topic, but. Again, very interesting because, again, this time a year ago, I was probably saying, all right, I I don't know about Jamer. I think Paredes ends up being the guy at third, and we're not saying that anymore. Last thing that I want to give Jamer credit for is I want people to kind of think about whatever job they hold. And in your job, your boss is trying every year to replace you to like which is essentially what was going it happens in sports all the time but with jamer i mean it's a pretty long list of guys that they had at you know with third base in mind that they had acquired via trade including the trade as we just said that he came in with and the draft you know, second round pick on a third baseman, then you draft a guy first. Don't forget Dawell Lugo. Yeah, Lugo, baby. can't forget about him. And, uh, you know, the second round pick on a third baseman, and you draft a guy first overall and call him a third baseman. They just kept trying to essentially replace uh, Candelario, almost said Paredes, who would have been in that conversation, it kept trying to replace him, and he responded excellently like you could not like you could not ask for anything more now i guess it was a little bit different because you know it's not like all of them were in the clubhouse at the same time but you know you get my drift i mean they they went left and right they'd be like his position on the team was looked at as a whole and he made it uh he made that whole field himself and you don't get that all that that shows a lot of toughness that shows a lot of belief in your ability that shows that's a credit to the coaching staff for you know getting the most out of him and him buying in. Uh, so I, I just I just like to look work that analogy a little bit. Just imagine if like whatever job you have that your boss is literally trying to replace you every year, and you have to fight off guys for your position every year, in a in a job that failure is the name of the game. It's kind of crazy when you just kind of say it like that. But he did, and he and he overcame it. And he, and he overcame you. <laughs> Big props. 
He did. He did. I was not a Jamer believer for a long time. I remember when I went to Comerica Park a couple of years ago, I saw in the pro shop like some some Jamer like game worn cleats for like three hundred dollars or something like that. And I was like, please. I'd pay seventy five tops. <laughs> Now I kind of wish I would have bought them for $300 because I think they go for more now. <laughs> Just because at that time he was, that was with the wrist injury and when he was like struggling and uh, it, it was not looking good for him. But but like I said, he pushed through and back-to-back Tiger of the years, you know, that's not, nothing to snooze at, you know. So credit, all the credit in the world to the candy man. Uh, I know he doesn't necessarily seem like the greatest quote on the planet. But uh, I do like I do like his uh, his positivity on Twitter and on social media. Seems like a nice family man. Seems like he really enjoys being a part of the Tigers organization. Uh, that stuff's important, you know. And he's a guy that's still young enough that if the team reaches its potential, he'll be maybe not in his prime, but you know maybe in the back end of his prime, and that's worth something. Jamer is a terrible quote. Nice guy. Great guy. Sweet kid. Terrible interview. And a second thought. If Jamer Candelario three-peats as Tiger of the Year, something has probably gone wrong. That probably means you didn't acquire a star shorts. <laughs> can, we, uh, can we get your gambling colleagues at The Athletic to put some odds on, on Tiger uh, of the Year? Tiger of the Ooh, Year, see be, if they can. Good stuff. <laughs> i mean gambling is uh you know you guys got gambling riders and stuff it's it's you know they, they could probably come up with some odds uh but yeah you are right um you talked about someone who voted for casey mize next year casey mize getting it would probably be a really mm-hmm. good sign let's just rattle them off right now be ideal signs for tiger of the year casey mize be up there scoobal we'll sure. put that put that in the same category soto um, you know, wouldn't be mad about scope if he can go back to playing like gold glove level second base, like full time, or, you know, maybe a guy who's not on the team yet. I think it's a guy who's not in the team like yet. Carlos Correa or perhaps. Casey Mize or how about this one? How about Riley Green? Wouldn't that be fun? Rookie sensation. Ooh, no. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, which, uh. Which, by the way, let's go ahead and get into that now. Uh, as this podcast airs, um, you've got a story up on The Athletic, kind of a, a fan survey, trying to get the vibe of the fan base going, you know, at the beginning of a crucial offseason for the team. So uh, you put several questions in there, Cody. I, I'm kind of curious what you're most curious about with the, with this fan survey what 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 do you really want to know what the fans think about x what are some of the highlights in your mind that you're going to be looking at the results pretty keenly i think i'm most interested to see what has changed i did one of these in april of 2020 and a ton has changed in tiger's world since then i think the um, probably the obvious kind of the most juicy question how would you rate Al Avila as general manager? In 2020, 47.6 of you, 600 people took this survey, uh, voted Al as average. 35.3 said below average. Um, 6% said said great. No one really said excellent. Uh, about 10% said poor. But back then, I was a little surprised because, man, the fan base was negative. The comments in my articles were were very negative. There was a lot of uh, uh, just a bad vibe around the Tigers still at that point. I was almost surprised. It was kind of a reminder that maybe what you see on Twitter, the comments section is like the, the vocal minority. Uh, the average Tigers fan seemed to be a little more measured. Say, yeah, we'll give Al average and, and see what happens, you know, when, when he actually gets some room to maneuver. Well, now Alavila has some room to maneuver. Things are on a positive trajectory. He's hired A.J. Hinch. I imagine A.J. Hinch will have a soaring approval rating. Interested to see how much, if any, things have changed for Al. I'd imagine they've gotten a little better, but I think it's going to take another big signing or two 
um, to to really win over the fan base to have people saying, no, this guy's a a above average or a great general manager. Um, that's a that's an easy one to look at, and we'll have a lot of other questions on there. Who's your tiger? Who's the most exciting prospect? If the Tigers were to sign a shortstop, who would you want them to sign? Um, I think a, a fun one is how many wins would you pick the Tigers for in 2022? I'm not going to make my pick yet because I don't know what the roster is. So it's probably not fair for me to ask readers to do that. But uh, curious to see what the people think. Like, can this team actually win 90 plus games next year? You know, has the fan base grown this confident? I don't know. I'm also going to throw in some questions about the TV broadcast and the radio broadcast. I imagine there will be some hot takes there uh, with the TV broadcast, especially kind of interested to see what people's true thoughts are on the Valley Sports Detroit TV broadcast. Um, maybe talk about some rules in baseball. What new rules would you like to see implemented? When can the Tigers, uh, will the Tigers win a World Series in this decade? When will they next go to the playoffs? Are baseball games too long? These are some of the questions that that should be on there. And you can go to The Athletic and take this fan survey. It will close, uh, I believe, midnight Monday. So I would go ahead and get your answers in so that your opinion can be counted. Can we get 750 responses? You said there was about I, I also I also think we will get more responses. I tend to get a lot more readers these days. Uh, I say 1,200. I say Ooh. I say twelve hundred should be reasonable. I, I was gonna say my first gut was to say a thousand, but I didn't want to overshoot it. You're going twelve hundred. Let's go. Readership, baby. Readership's probably about doubled, so I think responses to the survey should at least double. Yeah, there's some good. I, I'm curious to see what uh, what people say about that, especially like which shortstop. A lot of momentum for Correa as we talk right now. I don't know if it's like real insider momentum, but just like fan base seems all in on Correa. I I get more comments than you would think. Pushing back, I think people are really scared of like a ten year deal, and that's another story I warranted. I wrote on the Athletic, going more into how long is too long. Looking at some of the other, uh, you know, just the precedents, the Miguel Cabrera contract, some other long term deals, and is there a way to structure a deal? Whether it's Correa or Story or Seager, all those guys should get should get fairly long terms where you include multiple opt-outs or maybe the deal's back-loaded a little bit or, or front-loaded a little bit, I, I have reason to believe the Tigers are throwing around those ideas uh, maybe as a way to say, yeah, we're going to give you a 10-year contract, but not really. Um, so that's that's for another thing. So I'll be interested to see that answer because Correa is the name we keep hearing, but I think there might not be as many people all in on Correa as – as we think. Interesting. Interesting. Well, this, this literally just came to my head. So if you don't have an answer for it, um, we we can move on. What these big time free agents, uh, do they, are they going to meet like in person? Like is Craig going to go to like, I'm just naming teams. So not like any reporting, like, is he going to go to Detroit and then Texas and you know, like, you know, Rangers and then, the Yankees, is he going to physically go and like meet and like get a sales pitch or it, it, like, how are they, how is this going to be handled? You think? Especially I don't know in a the pandemic still. And, and a lot of it, right. I don't know if there's protocol for what you are or are not allowed to do in terms of testing and stuff. Uh, in a pandemic, we face the threat still of a labor stoppage. Sounds like they're not going to be winter meetings. You know, sometimes all this just goes down at winter meetings and it's just the agent going around meeting with different guys. But there certainly have been kind of a, I think it happens more in the NBA, but the sales pitch thing happens too in baseball. Is Correa going to waste, you know, is he going to hop all around from from coast to coast on a jet so he can, you know, uh, visit with different teams? I'm not sure. I, I do not know how that one's going to play out. Uh, I'm curious if the Tigers have a little presentation prepared for Mr. Correa. I don't know. Now that I think of it, maybe I should leave Texas and go back to Detroit and just like sleep outside of Comerica Park for uh, the rest of the winter in case he comes by and they have like a mock graphic for him on the scoreboard. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you can be like, you know, go back to your roots as a college football writer mm-hmm. and track jets, you know, 
for the you know, coaches. Go. Oh, that can be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So like I said, I don't know if, if that gets affected by, um, by like, you know, COVID stuff or, you know, whatever his, I'm looking up his agent right now. He is, uh, W M E W M E specifically John Rosen, John Rosen per, correct. per, uh, baseball reference uh so i said that scott boris is a friend of the pod he's never told me that but i'm just gonna say that he is because he's so powerful i'm gonna say mr john rosen is also a friend of the pod i want the agents on our side because they represent the players and this is a pro labor podcast you know tried to look up john rosen the other day guy's pretty doesn't even have a twitter or anything john if you happen to be out there listening hit us up we'd love to have you on the podcast friend of the pod yeah friend of the pod so The other piece of news in baseball was we got Hall of Fame ballots and eligibility for the next crop of baseball Hall of Famers. And we got three categories now, Cody. So we have just your run-of-the-mill eligibility, um, old names familiar. We have early baseball committee. And then we have the Golden Days era committee. I love these names. Early baseball very not not creative at all and then golden days like what's wrong with now were we not in the golden <laughs> days you know what i mean so uh so we can kind of run through some guys but uh see see if we we believe they should be hall of famers um you want to start with first year eligibles or do you want to start with last year eligibles for uh for the standard ballot I think last year eligibles might just be more interesting. Let's dive into that. Okay, so we got we got three or four, uh, and they're all pretty obvious names. So Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens, and is Sammy Salsa one of those as well? I believe. Yes. Maybe he's not. Yes, yes he, is. he is. So here's so. Actually, before we start, let's let's. How do you define a Hall of Famer? And I'll go first if you need to sort of like calculate it for yourself. So the way I look at a Hall of Famer is you got to have at least one of these criteria. You have to have a good record of longevity, of like a consistently being like good to great player. Or be excellent and elite for a shorter period of time. Or, and this kind of ties into the second one, were you among the greatest of your era? Because we we can't really compare guys to to eras because everyone recent is essentially going to be better than everyone in the past right so I, I try to look at it as like how are you to your peers so that's kind of my basic some people say could you tell the story of the sport without them i don't really like that because you can't tell the story of baseball without bobby thompson <laughs> is he a you know what i mean well, and, Bill is i'm not sure if he should be but he is that he, he yeah, you're right. And like Ralph Branca even, like, you know, he was the pitcher. Like you can't tell the story of baseball without him. And it's like I don't know. I just feel like that's basically you just need one key moment for that to like qualify, right? So that that's kind of my gist Hall of Fame definition. Do you have like a criteria that you look for? I think we're like past having one definition. I think if we were to start the Hall of Fame over, I've probably said this before, but I would be a small Hall guy. Problem is we can't start the Hall of Fame over. There are a lot of guys like Bill Mazarowski in the Hall of Fame who I'm not sure should be in the Hall of Fame. There are guys like Bill Freehan who aren't in the Hall of Fame, but I think should be in the Hall of Fame. So I look at the numbers. I look at the the Jaws and the war and, and these Hall of Fame metrics we have because I think precedent matters. I think if you were better than other players who are currently in the Hall of Fame, you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I also think there's something to be said for um, 
periods of exceptional dominance or maybe even extreme cultural significance to the game. So you talked about Bobby Thompson. I, I don't know. I think his moment should be immortalized. I'm sure it is in Cooperstown. Roger Maris isn't a Hall of Famer. Should Roger Maris be a Hall of Famer? Not really based on like Jaws metrics, but uh, he's, I on the he's golden popping era up committee. on this Golden Era committee. And man, sometimes I'm like, Roger Maris, the, the guy who hit 61 homers, isn't in the Hall of Fame? Back-to-back well, MVPs or two and three years? Uh, back-to-back that. MVPs. So for a short period of time, he was a dominant player in the sport. Um, only 275 career home runs though. So is he a hall of famer? I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, and I would probably vote no based on the kind of the short lived nature of his career, but man, I think there, I think those factors should also be considered. Well, yeah, Maris definitely falls into the category of someone that you can't, uh, can't write the history of baseball without, but Another thing, too, and this will come up with another guy um, that you and I are very familiar with from, uh, I believe he's in the uh, he's an early baseball committee guy. Yes, he is. There was a lot of Yankee bias in the moments during, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. And if you look at, like, award accolades on some guys, it's like, oh, my God, how is this guy not a Hall of Famer? I think it's because people sat back. This is why you got to have the waiting period. And like, oh, okay, he wasn't actually that great. He was just on the Yankees. So a perfect example, (laughs) Elston Howard. Hmm. Elston Howard won an MVP. He was a 12-time All-Star, although those are probably some two in the same year. Uh, They used to have two All-Star games, in case people don't know. Two-time Gold Glove winner is a member of four World Series teams and also an historic member of the most historic uh, franchise in the game. Not a Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Like you Just mm-hmm. look at that resume on the surface, just the accolades. You go baseball right. reference. It's a Hall of Fame resume. But I don't, I don't know how close he ever got, but he's one of those guys where I was like, wait, is he not in the Hall of Fame? You know what I mean? 27 career wins above replacement. He's like not a hall of famer you know <laughs> <laughs> so, so so sometimes that gets uh sometimes i give people credit so we talk about there's too many people in the hall of fame that's an example of i would give credit to the voters over the years for sort of recognizing not being prisoners of the moment the guy i was just referencing was ali reynolds uh who is on the early baseball committee yankees pitcher um who was a graduate of Oklahoma State University, our alma mater in the baseball stadium up until they moved last year um, at Oklahoma State, was named after him. You and I have both spent numerous days in Allie P. Reynolds Stadium at Oklahoma State University. So he's a guy who also has a pretty good resume that would be considered a Hall of Famer. But we don't have to spend too much time on the early baseball committee guys. So Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, Kurt Schilling. All Hall of Famers. All Hall of Famers. And all have very obvious reasons why they're not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Kurt Schilling would be his um, comments. I don't want to say behavior, but like comments since his career. And the rest, steroid accusations. Uh, But what they did on the field, clearly Hall of Famers, right? And we're we're going on last year of eligibility, which is crazy. It's been it's now been ten years. Ten They've been years. on the ballot. Ten years, these guys. What are we doing? You know that how I said a lot of these BBWA card holders are like very old or don't cover baseball day to day anymore. Uh, it's a shame that these guys probably are not going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And one day, if I'm still doing this job when I'm old and gray, I think it will eventually be rectified through some kind of steroid era committee. Um, but people, Kieran, like most people, I think, that are, are of our age think these guys are Hall of Famers. These are really the players we grew up with, so it doesn't seem right uh, for them not to be in the Hall of Fame, especially the all-time home runs leader. It's not in the Hall of Fame. Roger Clemens. Come on. Steroids, yeah, that was... That was bad. Um, 
you know, maybe you could have like a steroid era wing or some kind of denotation that these, this guy was linked to steroids. But uh, to tell me Barry Bonds isn't a Hall of Famer, like, like what are we doing here? In terms of the character thing or, or shilling, yeah, that's tough. Like, I don't love the idea of voting for Omar Vizquel, who's been linked to domestic violence allegations. Um, luckily, his numbers don't really merit Hall of Fame discussion unless you just want to go off his, his excellent defense. But I also think there are a lot of bad people who probably are in the Hall of Fame and people who, uh, if they were alive in the area of area in the era of social media, we might think of differently. So I don't. I guess I, I probably don't have like a consistent standard on what's okay off the field and what's not. I think maybe it should be a little bit of a case by case basis. If you do something truly heinous, um, that's that's pretty I think bad. We but sh- I think know. we should be able to separate crimes. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of how I would describe uh, it from unpopular opinions. But uh, how about? How about uh, here's one that I, I know you'll have a good opinion on Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones, this one, this one hurts me because I'm like, this guy won ten gold gloves. He is one of the top five, maybe three defensive center fielders of all time, uh, and was a very good offensive player too. Based on the metric, he's just below kind of the average Jaws score. For anyone who doesn't know, Jaws is basically a a metric that Jay Jaff devised um, to, to kind of rate Hall of Famers. And he sits just below the average for for center fielders, 54.6, where the Hall of Fame average is 58.3. And I, growing up a Braves fan, I mean, I love I love Andrew Jones. 62 career wins above replacement, 434 career home runs. I kind of think those are Hall of Fame numbers, man. I wouldn't put him in on the first ballot, but he's he's already going on his fifth ballot. And, uh, man, I think especially when you consider one of the great defensive players ever, I think I think yeah, Ozzie Smith is on the Hall of Fame. Let's put Andrew Jones in the Hall of Fame. If you put Andrew Jones in the Hall of Fame, do you put Torrey Hunter in the Hall of Fame, though? Uh, his, his career numbers are not quite as good, but he won nine gold gloves. So it's a hard science. It's not a science. And for the record, I believe the rule is you can vote for 10 guys, right? Is that mm-hmm. how it works? You can vote for yeah. 10 guys. Uh, and this is just for the uh, standard ballot. I don't know what it's technically called. Just I'm just going to call it standard ballot, not not the veterans ballot as it used to be called and then golden days and early baseball and all that stuff. Uh, we're, we'll, stick to this, we'll stick to the standard because it's not like you and I could talk about Bud Fowler's impact on baseball, you know, and no offense to him, you know, or anything left the old duel. Uh, but how about David Ortiz, a, a guy who do you think David? Okay. So the David Ortiz thing is a perfect example of us liking somebody and thus us forgiving. And I'm saying us as a culture, a baseball culture, forgiving something that we're not forgiving others for. Because he is also linked to PEDs. Wow. I, like, forgot he was even linked to PEDs. Because, yeah, See? we don't talk about it with Ortiz. We talk about, granted, A-Rod was caught and did it again and served a suspension. But we talk about it all the time with Manny Ramirez. We talk about it with a lot of these guys. We don't talk about it much with David Ortiz. You were right. So, I don't, so again, you said it's hard to put a consistent standard on it. There's a perfect example. All right, so here, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to list off the guys on the standard ballot. I'm not going to keep track of it, so don't feel pressure to just put 10. All right? Uh, but just say, like, yes or no. Can we, can, you know, uh, is that, do you want to okay, do that? Yeah, yeah, so not so much if I'm putting them on my hypothetical ballot, which I don't have a ballot. Yeah, you have to be a BBWA member for 10 years. But, um, yeah, in general, are they Hall of Famers? Let's do it. Yeah. So yeah. So like I said, it doesn't have to be like this year's ballot. So I'll go Kurt Schilling. Yes. Barry Bonds. Yes. Roger Clemens. Yes. Scott Rowland. Yes. Omar Vizquel. No. Billy Wagner. No. Todd Helton. Ooh. 
I want to come going, back to Todd Helton. I'm going second. no. It's a really close one, but I'm going no. Gary Sheffield. Man. It's a longevity I, criteria yeah, for me. And I, I would say no. Andrew Jones. I'm saying yes. Jeff Kent. Um, oh, wow. I thought he would rank a little higher among second basemen. I'm going no. Manny Ramirez. Yes. Sammy Sosa. Yes. Andy Pettit. Not the longevity I thought that Andy Pettit had. I, I might have to go no. Mark Burley. No. Tory Hunter. No. Bobby Abreu. No. Tim Hudson. No. Carl Crawford. Now we're in first year we're eligibility, by the different, way. We're on a different list than the one I'm looking at. We switched the word to Carl Crawford. No. Prince Fielder. No. Ryan Howard. No. Tim Lincecum. Let's check Timmy Boy's stats. Uh, no. Joe Nathan. Really good closer, but no. Ortiz, David Ortiz. Yes. Yes. Jonathan Papelbon. No. Jake Peavy. No. AJ Przinsky. No. Alex Rodriguez. Yes. Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy, gonna go no. And rounding it out, Mark Teixeira. Teixeira is kind of a tough one, but for now I'm going to say no. All right, so I want to go back to Todd Helton for a second because he was a guy that was one of the faces of baseball as we were growing up. And Larry Walker just got in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And... They their times coincided obviously in with the Rockies there for a bit. And I always kind of looked at Todd Helton as a better player in the moment they were together. I know Walker's career was more than that, so I'm not narrowing it down. But I always kind of found it weird that Walker was this Hall of Famer with very little pushback once he was elected. And we still haven't really gotten a lot of traction on Todd Helton. And I like Todd Helton. I like I said, I'm not saying he's. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. I haven't dealt deep. I'm just saying I looked at him at the time as a better player than Larry Walker. And I know Larry was older, but it just like he was one of the faces of baseball, and he was a two way player. People maybe are dinging him more because he played more year. He played his whole career with the Rockies, didn't he? Or mm-hmm. most of it. Yeah. Uh, so maybe they're dinging him more for the, for the thin air thing than Walker who, you know, played for more teams. But I, I, I don't know. They're like this in my mind, as I, re, as I recall, not looking at the numbers, but as I recall at the time, I always looked at them as at least peers or held a little bit higher. And I don't, uh, on the top of my head, I don't think he's be getting a lot of you know percentage of votes here. I think that's a downside to the steroid era. When we talk about here, I am giving these steroid guys passes into the Hall of Fame. I think Todd Helton was massively overshadowed in the popular lexicon because of the era in which he played, 1997 to 2013. His prime was really probably 99 to 2003, 2004. Prime steroid years. Guys were hitting 60 home runs. We weren't talking all that much about Todd Helton. He hit 372 in 2000. Granted, it was Coors Field. Uh, And he finished fifth in the MVP voting. Fifth. He hit 372 with 42 home runs and finished fifth in the MVP voting. The numbers say he's right on the line of first baseman. I think his career really kind of tailed off after 2008. 369 career home runs. He's a 316 career hitter. 
never finished higher than fifth in the MVP. Was only what a five-time All-Star. I I think his peak wasn't quite long enough for me, but then I kind of feel bad for the guy because if it weren't for these guys on roids, we might view Todd Helton a lot differently. I think it helps Larry Walker that his career started in 1989. There was a whole other decade, you know, there was a whole other period of time in which people have to remember his career. Yeah. So instead of, instead of steroids, the drug of choice at the time, and I'm not accusing Walker of anything. I'm saying this <laughs> drug of choice at the time was greenies and yeah. then a little bit of steroids. <laughs> uh, Real quick on on Pettit, uh, that that's a guy that if he were to ever get in, that would be an interesting precedent setter because he's arguably the greatest postseason starting pitcher of his generation. This is I mean, true. Postseason wins leader, I believe. He's uh, got a, a, a American League Championship Series MVP under his belt. He's part of five championship teams. Uh, maybe wasn't, he obviously wasn't peak for all the time, but he's got five rings. Uh, I could tell you Yankee fans were happy and opposing teams were not happy whenever he was on the mound in October. Uh, and if we're gonna if, if we're going to do the moral police thing, which I know you're not doing, but if we're going to do the moral police thing, the guy has come clean more than anybody else, and if if, if you if you're a morality guy, that's got to count for something, right? I don't know. I just feel like that's he's a very interesting case. I guess is what I would say. Interesting case. How much does that matter? I don't know, but I think it's worth something. I think a lot of people have already forgotten that Andy Pettit was linked to steroids because he came clean and was largely forgiven, whereas. Guys who didn't come clean like Roger Clemens are viewed in a way, way different light. But hold on. I got to circle back to something. All right. I'm looking at the 2000 NL MVP. Do you know who the NL MVP was the year Todd Hilton hit 372 with 42 home runs? In 2000? In 2000. Was it... Well, I'm guessing it wasn't Sosa, since that's uh, that'd be too obvious. Uh, give me a hint. This this is fun. Give me a hint. San Francisco Giant. Was it Jeff Kent? It was Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent was the Todd Helen at three seventy two with forty two home runs. He had he was worth eight point nine wins above replacement. Jeff Kent was only worth seven point two wins above replacement. Thirty three home runs. For some reason, won the MVP, also finished ahead of Barry Bonds, who was better in pretty much every statistical category. Uh, this is the good thing about metrics, folks. What were these people thinking when they gave Jeff Kent <laughs> the MVP award? It wasn't even like Todd Hilton was the runner-up. Todd Hilton finished fifth. Granted, the Rockies weren't good. That probably had a lot to do with it. But Yeah, but we were, on, still, we were on. still in the era of giving A-Rod an MVP. I mean, it happened like the year later, the, a couple yeah, years later, when yeah. we gave A-Rod an MVP on a uh, mediocre at best Texas Rangers team. Jeff Kent, come on. There you go. It's it's hard, especially in baseball. It, it, it's it's definitely difficult. Is there any anybody from another uh, from from the, any of the other categories, the Golden Days or the early baseball that uh, that you feel like got to get in? Ooh, because... do, you have a, uh, do you have a list? I'm not seeing a list of those guys yet. Yeah, yeah, I got a list. Uh, as I said, uh, our boy Allie Reynolds was on it uh he's got a nice resume for his era but i doubt he'll uh he'll get in so some of these some of these early baseball guys are uh negro league guys so um i hope there are a lot of negro league guys who end up in the hall of fame i'm not going to be i'm not going to pretend to be the most knowledgeable about all of their careers but i'm hoping several of them get in uh, including Buck O'Neill, who did, even in the Negro Leagues was not the the greatest player, but um, very significant figure in the game. Well, Buck see, O'Neill Buck, o- Buck O'Neill falls under that what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago with the Billy Martin and the Dusty Baker, where yeah, it's like, yeah. like just give him like the life, the Hall of Fame Lifetime Achievement Award, because without Buck O'Neill, uh, 
we don't have near the amount of information or influence with the Negro Leagues um, because of his ability to tell stories and, and be an ambassador for that era of, uh, of baseball. So he definitely falls in that category. But is he a Hall of Famer based on his playing stats? No. But should he be in the Hall of Fame? Is he should be a lifelong member of the baseball community? Absolutely. But uh, Buck O'Neill, so George Scales, Allie Reynolds, Dick Redding, Buck O'Neill, Lefty O'Doul, Home Run Johnson, Vic Harris, Bud Fowler, John Donaldson, and Bill Dolan. Uh, so, so many names. I, I'm not going to try to get you to have to know all these guys from various generations ago. Uh, but those are the categories. And Buck O'Neill. Selfishly, it'd be cool if Allie Reynolds was in, which if you, if you want a fun little story, Google Allie Reynolds and how he uh, got to the got to the majors. It's it's a pretty funny story. We don't have to go into it. But, uh, but yeah, those are the early guys. And then the golden era, excuse me, golden days era, Dick Allen, Ken Boyer, Gil Hodges, which there's some momentum with Gil Hodges. That's another guy I was like, oh, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Jim Cat, Roger Maris, Minnie Maniso, Danny Morta, Tony Oliva, who has an MVP, I believe, Billy nice. Pierce, and Mari Wills are the candidates for the Golden Days era, which, by the way, is defined as 1950 to 1969. Dick Allen had a far better career than a lot of people realize. His numbers are very close to Hall of Fame worthy, one in a rookie of the year in an MVP award. Gil Hodges, I think, has a pretty good case. Uh, we've talked about Roger Maris, talked about Buck O'Neill. You know, Lefty O'Doul has a margarita mix named after him. Um, I don't think he <laughs> I don't think he needs to be in the Hall of Fame because he's got a margarita mix named after him. What better consolation? That's fair, and the Maris thing is it's it's a quintessential example of being a flash in the pan and it's also an example of he will never be forgotten in baseball history regardless of whether he has a plaque in cooperstown mm-hmm. you know what i mean so his legacy is firm in my opinion so all right that was fun i think what we're going to do eventually when there's a labor stoppage is we're going to nominate guys to not be in the hall of fame anymore i think that'd be i think yeah, that'd be a, kicking them right out Kick, kicking them out of Cooperstown, uh, including I'm starting out with Arbor Doubleday, Whoa, Abner? who falsely claimed, who falsely claimed to <laughs> invent the game and is the reason that the Hall of Fame is in Cooperstown, thus very hard to get to. So that's my first nominee. That'll that'll be the tease for everything. Uh, hopefully you guys listen to this and then. Go ahead, and if you haven't already, fill out the survey on The Athletic so we get a good sense of what the Tiger fans are feeling. I'm very curious to see what those results are. And please, keep following along this offseason. I mean, we we plan on keep producing pods, no days off, and because we just like talking baseball. We like talking about the Tigers. Cody's got a wealth of knowledge, and I just love picking his brain about stuff. And the news will not slow down if, if this offseason already is any indication. So hope you hope you guys keep following along. Thank you for keeping following along, and we will try our best to put out a good product for you. So everyone, do yourself lo- a favor and go listen to Taylor Swift's version, the new version of Red, uh, new release. Make sure you go listen to it. That is another reason why you should come to this podcast is that you get music recommendations for Taylor Swift, which is never a bad thing, Cody. Never a bad thing. So be sure to follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our podcast page is at Turn Corner Pod. Subscribe, Apple, Spotify. We appreciate it. Give us a five-star review if you feel so inclined. We like those as well. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening.